You're listening to a message from Pastor Kenny Garrett recorded at a live service at the General Baptist Church God's House of Prayer located in Fairborn, Ohio. Stand with me this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 2. If you're like me, uh, I still love sending Christmas cards. My Christmas cards this year are, have a double purpose. But at home, the Christmas cards have already started coming in, and uh, they're always somewhat similar. There's a manger scene, some shepherds. Everybody looks very presentable and nice. Uh, so this morning, we'll look at that, uh, one of my favorite parts of looking at the Christmas story. We're going to actually start um, in verse 7, which is right after the birth of Christ. We'll, we'll start in verse 7, where it, where it tells you where we're at in the story. It says, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Dear Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us, all the blessings you've given us down through the week. I pray, Lord, that you anoint me to preach the message you've given, anoint ears to hear, hearts to understand. Draw us each closer to one another as you draw us closer to yourself. And we'll never fail to give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Oftentimes, this time of year, when those Christmas cards start to come in and the uh, Christmas scene is on the front of them or inside them and everything's well put together, everybody looks very presentable in an ancient type fashion, and we have a very a romantic look back on that scene in Bethlehem a couple thousand years ago. And it's easy sometimes to not keep in the front of our mind or to somewhat forget that the birth of Christ was an actual historical event. It really happened the way the Bible says that it happened. A very imperfect world. A mother experiencing excruciating pain. A manger that's cold 
in a manger that's hard, sat there on, I would argue, in a cave. It's never in a cave in the Christmas card. There's always a, a wooden-type stable scene, but I would argue it was actually in a cave dug out underneath the house. But that's for another time. And that's what we conjure up in our mind for the nativity scene. Something I think that was probably far from reality. We put that rosy glow and we sing Silent Night to ourselves while we, while we think about that time. And that stuff's not bad. Uh, you know, the, man, the word manger, we've come to, uh, in our society, being modern people, associate the word manger really with the birth of Christ in our minds. And it romanticizes the idea of a baby laying there. But if you uh, really think about it and you're honest with yourself, a manger is a feed trough. That's what it is. So if we were using modern language, our translators would say she laid her baby in a feed trough. Now, would that be better for us to think about that today? Would we be tempted to idolize feed troughs, have a much higher opinion of them than we should, elevate them to some type of sacred status, have them in our churches? But we don't do that because the reality is feed troughs are rough and dirty. They're not a very pleasant thing for modern people. There's no honor involved in sleeping in a feed trough. It's barely a step above sleeping on the ground. It's barely a step above sleeping on the ground. Now, the scene starts to become more realistic when you think in those terms. You have a, a, a young mother, young father, they're in a cave and they're in a situation in time and place and, and in life where they can, all they can give their baby is just a half a step up from sleeping on the ground. And then the Bible tells us in come the shepherds. Now again, it didn't happen like it did in your Christmas cards. They, they're always very put together in the Christmas cards. They're very clean, uh, very presentable. Um, and they look nice in the Christmas cards. They look nice in the Christmas books that people produce and read. Uh, we have a high opinion of shepherds in the Bible as we look back and think back because those images are where our minds go to every time you and I say shepherds. But the reality is the Bible talks about them abiding in the hills. Now think about that. These shepherds were abiding in the hills. They had no fixed address. Their location was at large. Now, abiding is a nice, clean-cut church word. But I promise you, these shepherds were not nice, clean-cut church people. They were a little different. If you can imagine how you might look or smell if you yourself were abiding in a field for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, or a couple of months. 
looking after each other's sheep. Now, uh, we might be okay with each other's company in that situation, but uh, in today's modern world, you wouldn't take somebody who's been abiding in the fields for weeks and months and invite them into a maternity ward to hold and see the baby. It wouldn't happen today. It's not part of what happened then, but our minds sometimes meld uh, the two things. Now, of course, Christ wasn't born in a hospital, so the shepherds didn't have to get past any security or protective nurses. Uh, But in the days of Jesus, shepherds were considered categorically unclean. They had a semi-nomadic lifestyle. They were they had an outdoor style. There was no outdoor lifestyle. There was no way that they could keep themselves ritualistically clean while they abide in the fields. It just was not possible. It wasn't practical for them to wash themselves as regularly as the law required. Uh, when you look into the history uh, written about this time in Judea, you see. Uh, the shepherds being talked about and treated as social outcasts. They were not welcomed into polite Jewish society. When they were in the neighborhood, something went missing or something went wrong. That's the connotation folks had about shepherds, the stereotypes that they um, placed on them. They had a certain bad reputation. Now, I can't speak for all shepherds, right? Uh, Some of them may have deserved it. Some of them may have not. But it doesn't matter uh, for our purposes uh, today because we know as modern, educated people that shepherds were looked down upon. They were shiftless and they were unclean. They were kind of, uh, they, they held the stereotypes kind of that the gypsies did several decades ago. Uh, but you don't read about that part in Christmas stories, and you certainly don't see that represented on Christmas cards either. But in the Bible, they're not rejected by God. In the Bible, they're not rejected by God. Rejected by men, we understand, but not by God. And this was not a new state of affairs for God. It's not... um, unusual for shepherds to be rejected. And and if you look back into the Old Testament, uh, sibling rivalry, it shows up um, in the early part of the Old Testament among shepherds and that sort of thing. Um, And you look into Moses. He didn't start out as a shepherd, but after he got himself into some trouble, that was kind of his punishment. That's all that was left for him. And I tell you this this morning just to put your mind and start to think about a future-looking people of God, that it may not look like you think it ought to look. Of course, while Moses is shepherding sheep out in the wilderness, that's when he gets called by God in a very serious manner. He's rejected by men, but accepted by God. And over and over again, we see that uh, throughout the Bible. Of course, uh, King David was the same, looking after his father's sheep when he got word that Samuel was looking for him. So another shepherd, rejected by men, but not by God. 
outcast in society, in a clean world, they were filthy and therefore rejected, but not by God. Just like God called Moses from that burning bush and he sent Samuel to anoint David, he was busy. While David was busy looking after his sheep, God sent angels to tell these shepherds about Christ himself. They had the honor of being the first to proclaim the arrival of a long-awaited Savior. Now, it's somewhat ironic that shepherds are such an outcast in Jewish society because uh, the Jewish religion depends so heavily on sheep and sacrifices, especially in these times. Sheep were a very important commodity in the religious affairs of the Jews. Uh, And these shepherds are raising sheep somewhat close uh, to Jerusalem because Bethlehem's only a few miles from the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, And it was very likely that that the sheep that these shepherds were tending would end up as ritual sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. So it's very fitting, very fitting indeed, that God lets them know what's going on right there around them at this time in history, that they would be the first ones uh, to to announce that uh, a Savior has been born. Now, uh, the Jews were convinced that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, uh, but there was also a well-established tradition uh, that he would be revealed from the watchtower of the flock. In Hebrew, it's, it's Migdal Eder. And so that God, when God sends his angels in the book of Luke here in chapter 2, it's quite possible and very fitting that these were the shepherds that were at the watchtower of the flock. Uh, so Christ himself came to be both shepherd and sacrificial lamb. And it is very appropriate that he would be announced first to these shepherds. These shepherds were most likely in charge of the sacrificial lambs uh, that were raised in the hills between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Now, as they're leaving, these shepherds, they were quite vocal about what they had seen and heard. Uh, And it seems like the townsfolk responded favorably to them. If you look in verse 17 and 18, it says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. So the Bible tells us that the people were amazed and wondered. And I think that that goes along with more Uh, Not, of course, their station in life, but that these shepherds were actually the shepherds around the watchtower of the flock. Because every Jew was waiting for the Messiah to be revealed from that point. Uh, So it was very fitting, and yet another prophecy that comes to be fulfilled. Uh, Whatever the case was, these shepherds were convincing enough for the people to go check things out themselves. They were convinced enough by their meeting with the baby Messiah, that they couldn't help but spread the news. 
Now think about that. Outcasts in society, filthy and dirty, but they could not help from spreading this news. They could not stop themselves from saying what they had seen. They could not stop themselves from telling what they had experienced. Uh, They had an experience with God that night. So I expect that those those angels were pretty convincing to the shepherds, and therefore the shepherds are pretty convincing to the people. Now, I've never, never seen an angel that I know of, but in the Bible, when you look, most of the time, uh, when angels appear, one of the, what's the first thing they tell the people? Don't be, afraid. Don't be afraid. Right? I'm certain it is an event. It is something that you uh, do not forget. And it's the same way with our shepherds. So they went, the misfits who never thought to wonder why a holy God would send his angels to visit unclean, uncouth, and unkempt shepherds abiding in a field. They came running into town to worship the good shepherd who was lying in a feed trough, cold, in a cold world, where these misfits and outcasts were ready to welcome him, to ready to um, accept what he offered. Um, but the spiritual elite would turn up their noses. Now, we know that from the Scripture. Yes, amen. We know that from what the Bible records. This Christmas, we're not talking about, I, at least I hope you're not talking when you're at home with your family and your loved ones about a Christ that is very romanticized and through a rosy lens of the Shepherds look a certain way, and the, the feed trough is something to be admired. That we talk about a re- very real God that appeared in a cold, lonely world, in a feed trough, in a cave in Bethlehem for you and I, no matter what position we find ourselves in. For unwashed and unkempt shepherds that are abiding in field, Jesus came to save them. For people, Middle-class folks of all colors, Christ came to save them. The lowliest among us and the highest among us all need the same salvation that's offered through a Savior that appeared that night. Christ, throughout the Bible, is recorded as gravitating towards people who are lower on the totem pole of, of social life. Uh, and that's something that we cannot forget. We cannot um, discount that part of the gospel message, that it is truly for everyone. Everyone that believes and repents uh, has salvation in Christ. Stand with me this morning. As you and I Recount the Christmas story in this Christmas season. We must tell the story from the beginning until the end. We don't leave Christ in a feed trough in a cave in Bethlehem. That we talk about him on a cross in Calvary. And that that act means that there's hope for the least of us and hope 
for the greatest of us. He has chosen the weak and rejected to shame the strong. And we who have been rescued from our own weakness and our own rejection must follow in his steps and do the same. Bow your heads with me this morning.